say the things that you would have to say. Lord, help me to not be distracted. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon me at this time, Father, to be able to teach this chapter and this passage. Lord, I pray that this would be a time of growth, a time of being able to learn uh, from your word. We love you, Lord, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Matthew, uh, chapter number 18, and uh, this chapter, we've been preaching through the book of Matthew on uh, Wednesday nights and going uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and usually what we've been doing on a Wednesday night, not, not, uh, not on purpose, it just seems the way it's worked out, we've been spending about two weeks on a given chapter, it just kind of seems like that's how it works out, sometimes we'll spend maybe three weeks in a chapter, and uh, t- tonight we're going to deal with the entire chapter, in fact more than the entire chapter. We're going to deal with the 35 verses plus um, some verses from last week that we didn't deal with. And I don't normally like to deal with that much, that, that many verses. Um, but it, it all has one theme. Uh, and I think you, you kind of need to see the entire theme. So tonight would be a good night to kind of take notes. And we're, I'm going to outline this chapter for you, give you a few things to think about. Really, every one of the points that I give you could be a sermon in and of itself. And from time to time, I have preached entire sermons of just one of the points. But it's going to be kind of an overview of this chapter and, and the theme that God is trying to teach us. And really, the chapter begins in verse 24. I, I should say the theme begins in verse 24 of the previous chapter. If you remember last week, we We didn't really deal with the last few verses of Matthew 17. Uh, If you look at verse 24, the Bible says this, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Does not your master pay tribute? Now, I got to tell you, like I said, every point could be its entire sermon. And there's so much that could be said about this, and I just don't have the time to deal with it. But basically, the tax collectors come to, the IRS comes to Peter and says, Hey, doesn't your master, doesn't Jesus pay tribute? Tribute is just another word for taxes, verse 25. He saying, yes. So Peter, uh, trying to protect the reputation of Jesus, answers, uh, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him saying. The word prevent means to come before. So Peter comes back into the house, and Jesus, before Peter can say, anything, Jesus prevented him saying, now notice what Jesus says, Peter, Jesus says, what thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers, so Peter, remember, the tax collector just asked Peter, hey, does your master pay taxes, Peter says, uh, yeah, and he pays taxes, Peter comes back into the house, and, and, and Jesus says, hey Peter, let me ask you a question, who do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, he said, who do they tax, do they tax their own children or strangers, now notice the response, verse 26, Peter says unto them, of strangers, Jesus says unto him, then are the children free, Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast a hook, and take up a fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened thy mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, that take, and give unto them for me and thee. So, basically, what's going on is Jesus is explaining, look, we're part of the children, we're, we're free, we shouldn't have to pay these taxes. Jesus actually did not believe that it was his place to have to pay the tax that was being levied on him. But... He says, he says, I want you to notice verse 27, there's so much that could be said there, and, and you can study that out on your own if you like. But in verse 27, he says, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. He says, I don't think we should have to pay the money, Peter. But he says, this is, an, this is not something I'm going to make an issue about. 
He said, this is not something I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to make a focus of my ministry. He said, lest we should offend them. And he gives them instructions to go out and, and fish with a hook. And he catches a fish. And there's money in the fish's mouth. And he's able to pay the taxes for them. Jesus said, lest we should offend them. And, and that leads into a theme in chapter 18 of this idea of being offensive or offending. Now, I want to just, before we get into the chapter, give you a few things to think about in regards to offending. Go to Romans chapter number 14. Romans chapter number 14 in the New Testament. Uh, you're, you're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you got the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 14. And I'm looking through my notes to make sure we're not we're not going to go back to Romans 14. So we're just going to look at one chapter, one verse, and, and go through it. Romans 14 is one of the chapters in the Bible that deals with the subject about offending people and being offensive. And in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 21, the Bible says this: It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Now I don't want to deal with what uh, Paul is saying because we're going to deal with that later in the passage. I I just want you to see the definition that Paul gives of, of, of offending someone. To offend someone is to cause them to stumble or to make them weak. To offend someone is to do something that will cause them to stumble to or be made weak. Now you need to understand this. Go to John chapter number 6. Back uh, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 6. In the case of a believer... When I offend a believer, or when you offend a believer, it could cause them to quit. Notice John chapter number 6 and verse number 61. Jesus just got done preaching a hard message. It was a hard sermon. It was, it was doctrine that the people had not heard. And in John chapter 6 and verse 61, the Bible says... When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murdered at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? I like to, I like to ask some of you that question from time to time when I'm preaching. You know, Does this offend you? Because he knew that what he just got done saying was offensive to them. And he said, Does this offend you? Now skip down to verse 66. Now notice John 6, 6, 6, what the Bible says in John 6, 6, 6. And that's not a coincidence. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus preached a hard sermon. He gave them the truth. He gave them what they needed to hear. They didn't like it. And from that time, the Bible says, the disciples went back and walked no more with, with him. He lost a group. His church had a split. He, had, he lost a huge group of disciples because they, they were offended at the message that Jesus preached. Look at verse 7. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Now Peter says a lot of dumb things, but here he really shines. Verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know, and he says, we're not going anywhere. But a lot of people left, and here's what that means. When someone is offended, talking about a believer, it can cause that believer to quit. These people were offended, and they quit on Jesus. They quit on the, on the things of God, and they, they no longer followed Christ. In the case of an unbeliever, when we offend an unbeliever, it could cause them to not get saved. And we'll see that later on in the passage as we go through it. But when we offend an unbeliever, it could cause them to not get saved. Go to Matthew chapter number 11. Let me just answer something right now. Because some of you say, well, Pastor Menes, I don't know what you're saying, but every time I come to church here, I'm offended. You know? <laughs> every time you get up to preach, I get offended. Okay? Here's what you must understand. And I don't want to run all the references because we've done it recently. But the Bible often refers to Jesus as the rock of offense. Remember we've seen that just a few weeks ago in the Wednesday night Bible study? Jesus is the rock of offense. Here's what you need to understand. Remember, we just saw in John chapter 6, Jesus preached a sermon. People were offended. 
did, did Jesus didn't go running after them. Jesus said, no, wait, wait, you know, come back, I'm sorry. Okay, here's what you need to understand about offending people. Are you there in Matthew chapter 11? Look at verse 6. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 6. Jesus said this, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Here's what you need to understand about offending people. If people come to Verity Baptist Church and they are offended by Jesus Christ and they leave this church, that's okay. You understand that? If they are offended by the Word of God, that's okay. If they get offended, if they stumble on, or they get weakened, or they, or they quit on God, because they came here and they heard something from the Bible, and they didn't like it, as long as it came from Jesus, or as long as it came from the Word of God, as long as, that's fine. But what Jesus is teaching in this chapter that we're going to look at, is that people should not be offended because of you and me. We should not be offensive, and, and, and especially this is something that we really need to uh, uh, deal with in, in, in our independent fundamental Baptist movement, because in fundamentalism we have this idea, you know, people people get up and leave, and, and they get mad, and they quit the church, and they say, ah, oh, they're just offended at the word of God. But a lot of times, someone said it this way, most of the time people are not offended on our position, they are offended by our disposition. And we, we talked about it a little bit on, on Sunday night. It's not that we don't preach the truth, it's that we must preach the truth in love. Do you understand that? We're not talking about compromising the Word of God, but I don't have to be a jerk to compromise the Word of God. Do you understand? Or, or to stand on the truth of the Word of God. I can speak the truth in love. The problem with the liberal that compromises is not that he speaks in love, it's that he will not speak the truth. The, promise, the, the problem that we have with the average church in Sacramento that will not stand up and preach and the problem that I have with the preacher is not that they're nice or kind or that they smile. The problem with Joel Osteen is not that he has a nice smile. The problem with Joel Osteen is that he won't preach the truth. He won't preach the word of God. And what we should be doing is preaching the truth. But listen, I don't have to be a jerk to stand on the truth. And what Jesus is saying is, when I preach the Bible, people, sometimes people come here and they say, well, you guys believe this, and you believe that, and they get offended. You, I said something about divorce, and they say, well, I'm leaving this church. If you Look, that is a biblical doctrine, and if somebody leaves this church because we preach against divorce, hey, they got offended at the Word of God. That's not my problem. But if someone leaves because I'm a jerk to them, do you understand what I'm saying? That's the difference, and that's what we're going to see in this passage. Go back to Matthew chapter 18. Look at verse number 6. Now we're going to skip a few verses because we're going to come back to the first five uh, verses towards the end of the sermon. But look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 6. The Bible says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones. Now the term little one means a child or a young child. But it can also mean uh, a young Christian. And, and there's, there's debate. You know, you, you look up that reference throughout. But he says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believeth in me. Now notice, I want you to notice how grievous offending someone is. It's, it's very, it is a very grievous thing with God if someone quits church or someone doesn't get saved because of your attitude. Because of something you said. Because something in your... Not, not that they got offended about what the Bible says, but they got offended at what you said or maybe the way you said something that the Bible says, or most of the time, something that has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. 
People quit church all the time because someone says something to them and that individual was just being dumb and saying things that they shouldn't be talking about. And it was offensive to them or it was inappropriate to them. And listen to me, Jesus teaches that it is a huge, grievous offense to offend someone uh, that is a believer. Notice verse 6, he says, But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believeth in me. Now notice what Jesus says. And he uses very descriptive language to bring his point across. He says, It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now listen, Jesus could have said, hey, if you offend one of these little ones, it would be better for you if you you died instead of offending a little one. Could Jesus not have said that? But that's not what he says. He says, it'd be better for you. He goes on to describe. He said, it'd be better for you if you took a millstone. A millstone would be this huge boulder. And you would, uh, and you would, and it were hanged about your neck. And you were drowned in the sea. And he describes this horrific way of dying. And you can almost just see Jesus, just how upset he gets when people offend one of his little ones. And he's saying, look, this is a grievous offense. Now notice, he goes on with this description of showing us how grievous the offense is. If you're taking notes, point number one is offending is grievous, verses 6 through 9. But notice verse 7. Notice what Jesus says, woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must need that offenses come. Look, the world wants to, they, I mean, just, just go to the average job. Okay, I mean, people are just talking behind each other's backs. People are backstabbing each other. The world is an offensive place. And especially today, we live in a society where people think being a jerk is cool. And, you know, I've had, people, I've had some people say to me, well, I, that's just the type of... I just say what's on my mind. Look, you're, you're just not smart. That's why you say what's on your mind. There's no filter from here to here that stops what you say. That, that's it. It's not that you're, I'm just truthful. No, you're just hurtful. And in the world, today people have this idea, I'm macho and I'm tough and I'm just, that, that's the black person I am. I just, like to, I just see it out, you know, I just say it how I see it. You're immature. Because Jesus says, look, notice verse 7, woe unto the world because offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. He says, look, I know that in the world offenses are going to come, but he says, woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. He says, look, offending people is not a good thing. Notice verse 8. Wherefore, now notice he begins to describe, you know, how bad it is to offend. In fact, he's saying, it's so bad that you ought to separate yourself from people that are offensive. Or from things that are, notice what he says. He says, wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee. Now he's using an an analogy here to to bring home how grievous this is. He says, if your hand or your foot had a way of offending you, had the ability to offend someone so that they could not get saved. He says, Wherefore, verse 8, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, or cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maim, than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Or if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into the hellfire. Now, he's trying to say, look, here's what he's saying. If your eye would offend you to the point, if your eye would trip you up to the point where you would not get saved, he said, it would be better for you to rip your eye out of your socket than to go to hell. And he's using this descriptive language to explain how grievous it is to offend. Now, we're talking about the subject of offending, but let me just give you a few things in those verses. We, we learn a little bit about what Jesus believes about hell in those verses. Number one, Jesus believes in hell. You know, Billy Graham, Billy Graham said on national TV that hell is not a real place. 
It's you know, it's just a, it's just it's just a figure of our imagination. It's not really. It's just something kind of we use to tell people to kind of scare people. And there's no real flames in hell. And it's not really. Well, look, did Jesus believe in a place called hell? He did. Not only did Jesus believe in hell, but Jesus believed that hell had fire. I mean, notice what he said. He said, be cast into everlasting fire. Be cast into hell fire. Not only did Jesus believe that there was a place called hell, not only did Jesus believe that hell has fire in it, but Jesus also believed that hell lasts forever. So we learn a little bit about what Jesus thought about hell from these passages because Jesus is definitely convinced that there is a place called hell. Number one, I want you to see offending is very grievous. Jesus uses these these dramatic examples to say, look, if, if your foot's offending people, cut it off. If your eye's offending you, cut it off. He said, if you're going to offend someone, it'd be better for you to take, take a millstone and jump off the Golden Gate Bridge and drown yourself in a horrific death than to offend one of my little ones. He said, it's not okay to go around offending people. Now you ask, well, why? Why? Why is it not offending? I, I, I told you, I told you, I was going to outline this this chapter for you. So, verses six through nine, we talked about offending is grievous. Number two, why offending is so grievous? Why is it so grievous? Number two, look at verse ten. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Some people like to think that that verse teaches that uh, the the idea of guardian angels, and if you like that, then you can believe that if you like. There's there's a lot that more that goes into that. I don't have time to get off on that rabbit's trail, but uh, he said, hey, take, take heed that one of the, not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. I would say this to you: if you offend someone, God will find out about it. There are angels that are going to tell God, hey, so-and-so offended my guy again. So-and-so offended my gal again. You say, why don't I want to offend people? Because when you offend someone, God is going to be told about it. But here's why you don't don't want to offend people. Look at verse 11. He says, for. The word for means because, because of. He says, because the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. He says, because the Son of Man was come to save that which was lost. Now, in verse 12, he goes into a famous parable. And again, we can preach an entire sermon out of this parable. I'm just going to give you a highlight because I'm kind of just showing you the, the idea of offending. But in verse 12, he says this, How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if he be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of the sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And here's what Jesus is teaching. You say, why is it so grievous to offend someone? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 while, while, while I'm explaining this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You say, why is it so grievous to offend someone? Here's why it's so grievous. Because Jesus Christ died for that individual. He says, look, if, if, if there was just one person that was lost, if there was 99 that were already saved, and just one sheep that was lost, he said, I would have came down to this earth for that one individual, and that one person that you look down on, and that one person that you're rude to, and that one person that you think is dumb, or you think they're just not cool, or you think whatever it is you think about them, and you mistreat them, or you're rude to them, or you're not nice to them, and you're an offense to them, you're a stumbling block, because they look at you and say, well, that's that's how Christian, and that's how you're going to treat me. And aren't you supposed to be a Christian? And Jesus would look at you and say, "Hey, I died for that individual as much as I died for you." And that's why we should never look down on people when they come to Verity Baptist Church. I was, we were talking to someone I can't even remember who uh, on on Saturday about a lot of Baptist churches have this this problem 
where everybody that goes to the independent fundamental Baptist church, everybody looks right, acts right, does right. They all have this show. I mean, everybody just looks just like you're supposed to look. And, and you know, and, and, and i got to warn you, that is not our church. Some of you have not been in a church that is actually reaching people, and I'm just trying to help you out, okay? Barry Baptist Church is unique in the sense that we are actually reaching people. I'm all for, and I love it, and I'm not, I'm not talking bad about, please understand my spirit. I love the fact that pe- when, when God brings us people from other churches, and they are already mature, and they know what they believe, and they know what they're doing, I love that, I praise the Lord for that, I love those people because there's no, uh, there's no having to educate them, you know, they're kind of ready to go, and we can just put them to work, you know what I mean? I love those people, okay? But that's not the only way this church is growing. This church is growing because we're actually going out into the highways and hedges and compelling them to come. We're actually going out and knocking doors and getting people saved. And you need to understand this. A church that is going to reach people that were not saved from time to time, they're going to come in here and they're not going to look the way you think they should look. And they're not going to act the way you think they should act. And they're going to say dumb things. And they're going to say things that are totally unscriptural and unbiblical. But when you're reaching people, that's okay. Don't look down on them. Never get to this place where we're just like, well, look at that person. Look at their dress. Don't be offensive to people. Yeah, you say, well, now, you know, people go there. Well, not everybody in this church seems like everybody's got it put together. Praise the Lord that not everybody has it put together. If everybody has it put together, I'd be wondering, what are we doing? Why are we reaching people? Are you there in First Corinthians chapter eight? Jesus, Jesus says this. Jesus says, look, I came and died for that individual. Don't look down on them. And by the way, don't ever look down on someone because they're not dressed the way you think they should be dressed, or they don't look the way they, you think they should look, or they're not. They're saying things that you look. We gotta love people. Jesus died for that individual. Jesus, he said, Jesus, Jesus goes as far as to say this, if that was the only person on planet earth that needed salvation, I would have came down and died for them. So don't offend them. So don't be rude to them. So don't look down on them. First Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 8. Notice what Paul said about the same subject. First Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8. But me commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. And what Paul's dealing with, and again, I don't have time to get into it, you can study it on your own. Paul's dealing with a subject where there were Christians in the church of Corinth that thought it was wrong to eat certain type of meats. And even today there are people that think it's wrong to eat pork. Now look, the Bible is very, and I don't have time to deal with it and and prove it from the Bible. The Bible is extremely clear that as New Testament believers, you can eat whatever you want. Okay, you don't have to follow the Old Testament dietary restrictions of the law. But there were people in this church that did not think that was the case. They thought, you can't eat pork, you can't eat, you know, whatever it is that you're not allowed to eat. Now notice what Paul says, verse 8. But, and again, this is what I'm telling you. This subject right here, it could be an entire sermon in and of itself. But in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, But me commendeth us not to God. He says, For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. He's saying, look, you're not a better Christian based on what you do eat or what you don't eat. Verse 10, verse 9. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block. Notice what he says. He says, look, you have the liberty to eat whatever you want, but take heed. He said, you better pay attention that this liberty that you have doesn't become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, and here specifically he was talking about the meat that was sacrificed to idols, he said, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? 
And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish? Now notice what he says. For whom Christ died? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, Paul's saying, I know there is nothing wrong with eating meat, if it's pork, if it's been sacrificed to idols. He says, I know there's nothing wrong. But if there is a weaker brother, a younger brother, someone that's not mature, someone that thinks they know what the Bible says, but don't know what the Bible says, because they've never actually read the Bible, they've just listened to a lot of preaching on YouTube, they think they know what they're talking about, but they don't. Does that happen from time to time? He says, but they think it's wrong. To eat a certain kind of meat. He says, don't eat that meat because Christ died for that individual as much as he died for me. Do you understand what he's saying? Now keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 8 because we're going to come back to it. But go back to Matthew. Let me give you... And by the way, this is why we ought not be offensive out soul winning. I, I tell our soul winners all the time, don't, don't, don't go out soul winning and just get in arguments with these Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. I'm all for speaking the truth. I'm all for giving them, and we've been giving you things to be able to uh, help them as you're out soul winning. The Bible says a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. You give them, you know, they say Jesus is God. You give them one verse to prove that Jesus is God. They say, I still don't believe it. You give them another verse that says that Jesus is God. You be friendly. You be nice. If they reject it again, just say, you know what? We're, we're going to move on because you're a heretic. <laughs> you know. I mean, basically, I don't believe it. I, I believe you're going to lose your salvation. Give them a verse to explain that eternal security is from the Bible. I Give him another verse to explain that he turns to scripture. If they don't believe it, the, a man that is inheriting after the first or second admission reject. But don't sit there for two and a half hours arguing with someone. Because look, if you're offensive to them, that individual, maybe they will get saved later on. But now they're not going to save because they're always going to remember you. I remember that Baptist and he got mad. He started yelling at me and even let out a curse word. That's what we're talking about. Jesus died. For that individual, as much as he died for you. Jesus would have came down to this earth for that individual if it was the only individual that needed him. And, and he says, don't offend them. Don't be rude to them. Number three, Matthew 18. So what do you do if you've been offended? Say, Pastor Jimenez, I, I'm in the church and somebody offended me and somebody said something to me and somebody sinned against me and they did this and they did that. What do you do if you've been offended? Look at verse 15. Do you see how all of this, this whole chapter is just dealing with the subject? Verse 15. How do you, what do you do when you've been offended? Well, there's two things you can do. Number one, Jesus explains how to confront someone who's offended you. How to confront someone who's offended you. Look at verse 15. Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell the entire church and put it on Facebook. Is that what it said? Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go talk behind his back to all the brethren and let them know how he's a so-and-so. You don't think this happens in church? Look, this happens to me. <laughs> people, you don't think people go around saying, oh, brother so-and-so, you sister so-and-so, she said this to me. Is that the scripture way to deal with it? If you've been offended? Now listen, the Bible says, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. If you really love the word of God, you won't allow people to offend you. But if you've been offended, if someone trespasses against you, if it's a grievous sin, the Bible says, Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him. And here's the key word. You ought to underline this in your Bible. Alone. It is not your job to go around bad-mouthing people. It is not your job to go around saying, Well, I don't think that they should have done this. And I don't think that they should. It's not. Look, if you've got a problem with it, then go talk to them alone. And you say, Well, I don't want to talk to them alone. Then it must not be that big of a deal. You don't need to repeat it to anybody else. If he shall hear thee, I want you to understand this, okay? And, and this chapter is often referring to what people call church discipline, and I, I don't have an issue with calling it that. But let me explain to you the purpose of church discipline. Let me explain to you the purpose of why we do. Because we get off on these tangents that so-and-so did this, and I'm going to go and bring it before the church, and I'm going to tell everybody, and we get, in, we get pretty proud and arrogant. 
But notice what Jesus says the purpose of all this is. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, notice, if he shall hear thee, thou hast ran him out. Is that what it said? Thou hast gained thy brother. Do you understand that the purpose, the reason that we may confront someone with sin, or we may confront someone, is not because we're trying to run them out, but because we're trying to gain a brother? The purpose is to gain people. So you get this idea where I'm a fundamental Baptist in the church God, I'm going to Look, we ought to err on the side of grace. We ought to err on the side. We ought to realize that Jesus died for that individual. And if there's any, something we can do to gain a brother, I want to gain that brother. Well, Pastor Emmanuel, you're just a liberal. Look, say whatever you want, but what makes you a liberal is not preaching the truth. What makes you a liberal is not being a... Is, you're, you're, not, you're just not a jerk. You don't know what the Bible says. You've been listening to way too much preaching online, and I'm all for listening to preaching online. I put preaching online, but we need to get Christians that quit listening to so much preaching online and just read their Bibles. And realize what the Bible says. And realize what the Word of God says. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That's the point. Now notice verse 16. But if he will not hear thee. So you, you said you went to him. I said, I went to him. I prayed about it. I wasn't rude. I went. I said, hey, listen. We're having this problem and I want to try to deal with it. I don't want to have issues. And they would not hear me. What do I do? Step two. Notice. But if he will not hear thee. Step two. Then take it with thee. Well, then take with thee one or two more. That if in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now look, you're having a problem with someone, and they don't want to hear you. It's good to take two or three witnesses, because then they can vouch for what you said. I remember one time, uh, we, we were at a, at a church, my wife and I were at a church, that began to preach false doctrine. They began to preach that you must repent of your sins to be saved. That the pastor said from the, from the platform, he said, if you're drinking alcohol and you refuse to give up the alcohol in order to be saved, then you're not saved. And I don't agree with that at all. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that you have to give up any sin in order to... The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And my wife and I just decided, you know, we're just going to quit this church and leave. And the pastor calls us and does, I want to have a talk with you or whatever. So I went and, and had a talk with him. And listen, I, I'm telling you before God that I went to that meeting and I was respectful and I was kind and I never said I, you know I, there, nobody recorded it and I wish I would have recorded it no one was there except me and the pastor but I'm telling you before God that nothing rude came from, out from my mouth I told him here's what I don't like here's what I don't agree with he called me an idiot this was a pastor I'm 19, 20 years old young Mary he said I was stupid he said you don't know what you're talking about I was, and I was rude the whole time we left that church and he went around and told everybody that I cursed at him in the office that I said that I said he was stupid I'm like he must have got confused like he was telling me that you know he told but, but this is why Jesus said hey take a witness with you and that way they can vouch no this is what actually happened because people have a tendency to lie so look at verse, look at verse 16 then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established verse 17 and if he shall neglect to hear them so you take your two or three witnesses and they still won't hear it then he says tell it unto the church so then you take the matter before the church now look do you really think it's going to get to that point most of the time you get to point number one and they're out of here you know, and we've had situations where we had to, where people were trying to spread false doctrine through emailing people, and we have taken it to the church when we need to. But look, the goal is not, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm just a man all the time, I'm just looking for someone so I can take it to the church. That's not the point. The point is to try to gain a brother. 
The point is to realize that Jesus died for that individual. And if we can bring him this way, if we can show grace and love them, that's what we should do. Verse 17. And if he neglects to hear them, tell it unto the church. Number four. But if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and as a publican. Here's what he's saying. Throw him out of the church. Now listen to me. Church is not a privilege. It is a... You don't, it's not, you don't just get to come to church. Some people lose the ability to go to church. And I, again, I'm not preaching on this subject. But the Bible says people that are living in fornication should not be in church. And people are living in fornication. We've had to do this where we go to them and say, Hey, listen, the Bible says you should not be living in fornication. And if you don't repent of it and quit, um, then the next step is I'm going to bring two or three witnesses. And the next step, and I explain to them. Some people have said, Pastor, you're right. And God right with God. And quit fornicating. Some people left. But look, I'm not, we're not messing around at Barry Baptist Church. I, you need to understand this about this church. Our goal is not to get a big crowd. No, I'm all for a big crowd. But I'd rather be right with a small crowd than wrong with a big crowd. I'd rather follow the Word of God and be scriptural. I'm not as interested in how large our church is as I am interested in the type of church that we are. Where we get the leaven out of the law. And here Jesus is teaching, look, it's not your privilege to just live however you want and then you get to waltz into church and you can be a drunkard and you can be a fornicator and you can be all these things. It's not your privilege to do that. You are accountable to people. But there's a way we must deal with it to not be offensive. So what do you do if someone confronts you or if someone has offended you? The first thing is you go and talk to him alone. The second thing you do is you bring two or more witnesses. The third thing you do is you take it to the church. And if they still won't deal with their issues once you take it to the church, then you treat them as a heathen man and a publican and you throw them out. So what do you do if you've been offended? You confront the person in love for the purpose of restoring them, of gaining a brother. But then look down at verse 21. Let's talk about how to forgive someone who offends you. You say, oh, I was offended. I went and told someone that you offended me. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. I, didn't realize, I, I did not realize you were so offended because I sat in your seat. I'm so sorry. Because I took your spot. And I didn't realize that that was your spot in the driveway where you were. I always parked there all the time. You knew. You, you know that I like the chocolate sprinkled donuts and you took it. <laughs> and you confront the individual. You took your two or three witnesses. They can vouch for me. I like that donut. They took it from me. <laughs> and they said, man, listen, I'm sorry. What do you do? Look at verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often my brother sin against me and I forgive him. Now notice Peter. Peter's a very graceful man. So seven times? So should I, should I forgive someone seven times if they forgive me? Verse 22. And Jesus said unto him, I say unto thee, until seven times, but... He said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but notice what Jesus says, until seventy times seven. Now you can take that to say seventy times, uh, you know, seventy multiplied by seven, that'd be four hundred and ninety times. If someone if someone offends you four hundred and ninety times, they're probably not gonna be their friend. You know what I mean? I mean they're probably gonna that that situation is gonna come to an end. But Peter says, Hey, if someone offends me, uh, if someone how, how many times should I forgive him? And here's what Peter's saying. How many times do I have to forgive him before I can be self righteous and forgive him no more? That's what he's asking. How many seven times, Jesus? I mean someone offends me seven times. And then that eighth time, I'm just coming down hard on them with wrath. And Jesus said, No, Peter, until seventy times seven. And Jesus begins to teach this parable. And again, this whole this parable could be an entire sermon in and of itself. But notice what Jesus says, verse twenty three. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servant. 
And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Now here's what you need to understand. The king in the story represents the Lord Jesus Christ. The servant that owes ten thousand talents represents you. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And by the way, that's salvation. People say, well, I think you've got to repent of your sins, and you've got to quit drinking, you've got to live right. Or Look, you don't have the ability to pay for what you owe. There's nothing you can do to undo the sin you've already done. There you say, well, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to live right, I'm going to do right. You don't have enough to pay, you owe way too much. And he began to reckon, verse 24, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand pounds. But as for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children and all that he had, and payment to be made. Verse 26, and the servant therefore goes out and worships him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now look, this is salvation, because that's how most people, Lord, if you just forgive me, I'll pay you all, I'll make it up to you, I'll go to church, I'll live a good life. But notice, is that salvation? Verse 27, then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. He said, you don't have to repay. He said, I'll just forgive you. Then I'll just forgive you the debt. Verse 28. But the same servant went out. The guy that just got forgiven went out. And found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. So this guy just gets forgiven by the king, right? And you got to understand, this is a parable. The parables are like any illustration. They break down at some point. But this man owed money to the king. And he couldn't pay it back. And the king was moved with compassion, which is a phrase that is told us of Jesus Christ. And he forgave him all his debt. And then this guy runs out, and he finds a fellow servant, which owed him a hundred pence. A lot less money. Verse 28. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Can you, can you just visualize this? He's taking this guy by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. Verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Exactly what he was just saying to the king. But notice verse 30, and he would not. But went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their lord all that was done. Those are the angels. Remember the angels beholding to see when you offend someone, they go and tell the king? Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Now, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me show you a verse real quick. Ephesians chapter 4. I haven't been a pastor very long. A couple of weeks we'll be celebrating our fourth anniversary. I've been a pastor for four years. But in the four years that I've pastored, I've already heard enough marriages where someone will say, I cannot forgive my husband. I will not forgive my wife. I cannot forgive what so-and-so did to me. Listen to me. If you're saved, you must forgive. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Well, Pastor, you just don't know what they did to you. I don't need to know what they did to you. I'm not minimizing what they did to you. But I know what Jesus Christ did for you. In Ephesians 4 and verse 32, the Bible says, And be ye kind one to another. And here's the key word, really, tender-hearted. Our problems are usually our hard heart. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now notice this. Forgiving one another even as or in the same way that God for Christ's sake had forgiven you. Do you understand that if you were forgiven, if you were forgiven, it's not because you did something to deserve it. It's not because, well, Jesus is so impressed with my life. You just saw the way I live. He's so impressed. 
No, if you're saved, you were forgiven. Notice, notice the only reason that God forgave you. I mean, this ought to kind of hurt our feelings, except for the fact that it's God, so you can say whatever you want. But the Bible says that forgiving one another, even as God, even as God forgave you. Why did God forgive you? For Christ's sake. Do you see that? If it was not for Jesus Christ, if it was not for God the Son coming down to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost and finding that one little sheep, if it wasn't for Christ, if it was just up to God the Father, remember on Sunday night we talked about the Trinity from the book of Isaiah, if it was up to God the Father, He would let you burn in hell. Do you understand that? If it was up to God the Father, you'd say, forgive me. He said, I don't have to forgive you. I'm a holy God and you're a sinner. Go to hell. But God says, I'm going to forgive you for Christ's sake. Because my son went down and paid your debt. And the Bible says, in the same way, we ought to forgive. Look, Jesus has forgiven everything I ever did. Who am I to hold something against my wife or my children or my neighbor or a friend or anyone that has been there? Who am I to hold a grudge when I've been forgiven of everything I ever did? You don't know what he did to me and what she did to me and what they threw me through and what they did. And I'm not minimizing it. Some people have gone through some horrific thing. And I'm not minimizing that, but I'm telling you this. For Christ's sake, we must forgive. Not because they deserve it. Because I didn't deserve it. I still got it. And he says, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Go back to Matthew chapter 17. And let's just look at a few things real quickly. We'll, we'll be done. we got ten minutes. We can do this in ten minutes. Matthew 17 and verse 24. We should not do things that we know aren't bad if they're going to offend someone, remember? Look at verse 27, Matthew 17, verse 27. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, remember? Go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up a fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that they can give unto them for me and thee. Did you keep your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 8? I think I told you to keep a finger there or something. Can you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8? Let's just look at, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 8, look at a few verses. We're going to go back to Matthew 18, deal with the first five verses that we skipped, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll move on. And we'll be done for tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. Notice what Paul said, remember he said this? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, But me commendeth us not to God. For neither we eat, or are we better? Neither if we eat not are we worse. He says, look, Paul's saying, I know that meat that's sacrificed to idols, I know that's whatever. It's cheaper at the market, whatever, just buy it. No big deal. It doesn't mean anything. But take heed lest by any man's means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. There's a group of, they're not huge, but there's a group of Baptists, and they're, they're mainly in the South. And they believe. They believe it's wrong for men to wear shorts. They, they take the stand that it's wrong. Now look, I, I don't agree with that stand, primarily because the priests in the Old Testament 
wore shorts. I mean, if you read the description of the pants that God had them for them, they're basically what you and I today would call shorts. I'm not talking about short shorts, okay? I think it's wrong for men to wear, and women to wear short shorts. I'm not talking about shorts that go down to your knee. I don't think it's wrong to wear shorts that go down to your knee, because the Bible doesn't say that, and the, the priests in the Old Testament basically wore shorts that went down to their knees. But there's a group of Christians out there that think it's wrong for men to wear shorts. And they just think it's a, it's a stand they take. Now here's what he's saying, okay? It would be wrong for me, who knows what the Bible says, and I can prove it from the Bible. It would be wrong for me to go to that individual and say, hey listen, you don't understand what you're talking about. You're taking the Bible out of context. The Bible doesn't teach this. It, it would be wrong for me because look, they think that's wrong. Now, they need to be taught right. There's nothing wrong with teaching individual right. But if I pressure them to do something that they think is wrong, I'm causing them to sin against their own conscience. Because if you think something's wrong, whether it's right or not, if you think it's wrong, you shouldn't do it. Because if I teach someone to do something that's wrong and go against their conscience, then they might go against their conscience another time when they actually are doing something that's wrong. And Paul is saying, I know that meat's fine and whatever, but he says, if I'm in front of a brother who thinks it's wrong to eat meat, he says, if meat makes my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands. He says, I know it's fine, but if brother so-and-so is going to get offensive because I ordered, you know, carnitas at Chipotle, I'm just going to go ahead and get the chicken, okay? Just to not offend. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? And here's what he's saying. And here's what you're saying. We shouldn't have to pay these taxes. But lest we offend them, let's just pay the taxes. I just don't want to offend them. I don't want them to. I don't want to do something that they're going to think like, Oh, Jesus doesn't pay. And that's going to cause them to stumble and not get saved. And the idea is this. Esteeming other better than yourself. Now go back to Matthew 18. Remember we skipped the first five verses? Let's look at it. Because really the first five verses is why Jesus went into this entire story. And here's the whole thing. It all comes back, it, it always comes back to the same thing. Pride. Matthew 18 and verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child unto him, and set him in the midst of him, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that, that's saying just salvation. You cannot, this is what we're saying, if you believe that you're going to heaven based on something you do or something you don't do, and I don't care if you put that before or after salvation, I gotta repent of my sins, I gotta go to the communal, what is the, the communion booth? No. Confessional booth, there you go, good night. The confessional booth, I gotta take communion, I gotta dress a certain way, I gotta speak in tongues, whatever it is. You say, we gotta, we gotta do these things in order to be saved. Or if you say, I'm saved by grace through faith, but then i got to live right, and i got to do this, and i got to do right, or else God's going to take away my time. If you think you got to do something to be saved, you don't understand salvation. Because, see, Jesus says to be saved, you got to come to him as a little child. Take, take my little daughter, Elizabeth, who's two years old. Look, she can't feed herself. She can't clothe herself. She can't even go to the bathroom without being helped. That's how we must approach Christ with salvation. We, if, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be converted as little children. You've got to go to God and say, I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Dad, will you please help me? That's what salvation is. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But then he answers their question, verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as his little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's all about being humble. And here's what you got to understand. A proud spirit is the spirit that offends. 
man, you know, you were talking about that and so-and-so didn't think that was something you should be talking about. You really offended so-and-so. Well, they need to just get over it. This is just how I am. I say what's on my mind. You know what that is? It's a proud spirit that would say, I don't really care of that individual. I don't care if Jesus died for their soul. I don't really care. I don't like how they were dressed. I don't like how they look. I don't like how, you know, the car they drove. And I just don't like them. And I'm just going to be rude. God says, it'd be better for you to put a millstone on your neck and throw yourself into the sea than to have that attitude. And I just want to tell our church, and you mean, Pastor, do we have a problem with this? Look, I, I don't know if you noticed, but last week we were in Matthew 17, and the week before that we were in Matthew 16, and next week we'll be in Matthew 19. We don't have an issue with this, we're just in Matthew 18, and that's what we're dealing with. But I do want to warn our church, let us never get this hypocritical, pharisaical attitude that I have, the Bible says, knowledge puffeth up. I just, I've been listening so much preaching, I got so much knowledge, and I, go, I, I just know what's right, and I'm going to say it on Facebook, and I'm going to tell everybody how they're wrong about everything. People that spend time in the Word of God and spend time on their knees before God and grow through actually reading the Bible, not only get the knowledge, but they also realize, like Isaiah said, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Oh, is me. Let us be people that will be humble enough to realize every person that comes through those doors. I didn't like what they said. Look, it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. Let us love people. Let us have grace. And let us not have this proud attitude, well, I'm so this and I don't, you just got to deal with it. Let's esteem other better than yourself. Because for Jesus Christ, now look, people come to this church, they hear the Bible preached and they get offended. That's their problem. You understand that? Well, they, and they usually blame me, and I get that. That's fine. Well, Pastor, you mad at yourself? No, look, you didn't get mad because of what I said. You got mad because of what I preached. You got mad at God. Okay, that's like you getting mad at the mailman because he brought you your credit card statement. Okay? You made the bill, not him. Okay? He's just the messenger. All right? You get, and I can take it. It's fine. You get mad at me. I don't, I don't really care. Honestly. That's fine. They get mad at the Word of God. I don't have an issue with that. They get mad and leave because you and I are proud and arrogant and we're being jerks not watching our mouth and we're not speaking with grace and we're not speaking the truth in love then Jesus is going to have an issue with us because he died for that person let us love that person let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer Heavenly Father Lord we love you thank you for our church and Lord thank you for Matthew 18 and just just realizing that everybody has value it's so easy it's so easy to just look at people and say Oh, that guy. Oh, that girl. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. And I know sometimes people walk in here and they really don't know what they're talking about. They think they know what they're talking about. They have no clue. They've never even read the Bible. Not once. But let us show grace, Father. Help us to realize that Jesus died for that individual. Jesus loves that individual. Jesus would have left heaven and came down to earth and died on the cross if that was the only individual that needed salvation. He would have left the 99 and gone to seek out the one that was lost. And if he loved them that much, then help us to love people that much. And I know from time to time we have to deal with sin and and help us to deal with truth, Lord, and help us to confront sin. And if we have to confront someone, let us have the right attitude that we're trying to gain a brother. We're not trying to run them off. And from time to time we may have to run them off. Help us to always have the right spirit. Help us to always speak the truth. Love you in your precious name, my friend.